You're listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. Here are your hosts, Fran Chismar and Tom Knezic. Welcome back to The Buzz, brought to you by the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast, presented by Magic Mind and Pinelands Nursery. I am Fran Chismar. And I'm Tom Knezic, and today we're buzzing into episode 143. And before we get into the fun native plant stuff, we have a little follow-up to do, like usual. Uh, actually, Fran, it's a lot of follow-up this time. I noticed. Uh, I was like, wow, look at look so, at Tom typically puts the follow-up in, and I don't see it until yeah. we start the show. Yeah. So yeah. I can be... Like more off the cuff, but I was like, wow, that's a lot of follow. And actually, one of the things is, um, and I know you have this saved for later in the show, but I want to get into it right away and start with a Tom's Petty. It's the long awaited <laughs> jingle for Tom's Petty. It's finally here. Um, we were overthinking it for a while. I've been like, why don't we just go with this? Let's, let's do it one more time just so everyone right. can let it sink in. There's so many <laughs> ways that that goes. It's a, it works in so many different directions. It, it really to kind does. Kind of sum my thoughts and um, and my my thing. I'm being petty over this week. I don't do this every week, but this week is it's come to my attention through all these trade shows we've been going to that we have a number of listeners who don't actually subscribe to our podcast oh, because they're listening in mass. Oh, and that doesn't sit right. No. no, and uh, no, you know, and I, now that you say it, I realize how that's happening, and I'm like, yeah. oh wait, like, yeah, we we've uh, so through it, some it, conversations. Like, isn't there like a like a law? Like, say you're watching <laughs> like a pay per view at a bar. Like, say you get like you pay per person, right? I I think that's what it should be. Yeah, I don't like, know if that's I what you actually have. I don't but. think we're getting credit for all the listens. That's like if it's six people listening, we're only getting credit for one. That's what I'm getting at here, friend. And the, like each everyone's, they're only subscribed once. They're only leaving one review. And oh, um, but yeah, oh. through all these conversations, trade shows I was going to, uh, it came to my attention that that Kind Earth Growers is playing our podcast over the uh, over the loudspeakers in the greenhouse, which is awesome. We really yeah. appreciate that. But it got me thinking. I bet they don't all subscribe. I bet they, did just you one add? person subscribes. Did no, you I just assumed. All but, right. <laughs> 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 But so that's uh, yeah, that didn't sit right. They need all this is their call to action because I know they're listening if, over the sort of the loudspeaker. You're all listening right now. Take your phones out if you're not already subscribed. And that's, subscribe. And this goes for everyone, uh, not just the folks at Kinders Growers. Um, it's uh, it goes for everyone. If you aren't currently subscribed, pull your phones out right now. We're gonna pause. We're gonna give you a couple a couple seconds to pull your phones out. Hit subscribe on our show. And also, leave a five-star view. I see Fran's actually doing it himself over there. I, oh, then, no, uh, I've subscribed and, and given us. And then on top of that, do a little write-up. You don't have to do that right right now. The five stars, do it right now. Yeah, do, do it. Do the little write-up when you have time. I know you're you're probably at work or, or driving. Definitely don't do it while you're driving. Um, you might be able to get we'll away play, with a five-star we'll, review. We'll play a little music while they do it. Or maybe not. Maybe we won't. Hold on. Wait. Wait. 
All right. So hopefully yeah, you've done that, that. Now that you've left that review, Fran and I feel so much better. Yes. Um, and you've subscribed to our show. So, and that's all in just, we had a lot of fun with the, the folks at Kind Earth Growers at all these, these trade shows, both John, Joe, uh, it, Sophia, it, and their whole gang. Isn't it's, it so nice that we can be friends and yeah. have fun with people that technically are competitors yeah. in, in a way, but we don't view it that way. And it's nice that we all view ourselves as part of the movement to push native plants forward. Yeah. Yep. But no, it's uh that was all in jest. I, we, we really are humbled that they think uh, enough of this podcast that they play over the loudspeakers, no, that's pretty uh, awesome. whether while they're planting away over there. But, um, but yeah, it does do us a big favor. Uh, if they, if everyone subscribes yeah. and leaves a review, cause that just promotes this message of native plants to more and more people, the exactly. more subscri- uh, subscriptions we have, especially when they come all at once, you shoot up a little bit higher in the rankings, and then it, on the Apple Podcast, definitely it shows up as a "Hey, you might be interested in this" uh, categories. And when people say, "Oh, I'm looking for a nature podcast to listen to," it shows up on the first page instead of scrolling down a bunch. Yeah. So that's why we ask, and that's uh, it's. I just thought that was a fun way to do it. <laughs> you know the, uh, and that's a huge thank you to Kind Earth Growers and a huge shout out to Kind Earth Growers. If you don't know who they are, get to know them. John's been a, a past member on on the uh, podcast or, or guest on the podcast uh, with the Business of Native Plants Part Two, I think it was, or the second one. Um, and they also mentioned at our uh, Native Plant Grower meeting, they were asking what had happened to Saul. So. Got to follow up with Saul and see. He hasn't it's checked been in in a while. A long time, hasn't I it? I think there's a lot of new listeners that have no idea who they, Saul is. You are probably right about that. Yeah. And they're going to be in for a surprise <laughs> when they hear <laughs> when him he, call in again. When he comes back. But um, and then but that was uh, a little bit of lead into the next piece that I want to talk about was all the trade shows we've been going to. Um, we talked about Mance and how we went to that earlier in the year, and just uh, we had uh, New Jersey Landscape Architect Show and uh, Metro Hort Show, and uh, I was at. Total Pro Expo, which is a New Jersey Association, or not New Jersey Association, New Jersey Nursery and Landscape Association uh, show. And the amount of people that, like, come up to us and say, hey, I really enjoy the podcast. It it not only does it make us feel good about ourselves, which is, is nice, it also lets us know that people are actually interested in this and we're doing something that has value. Um, we want to make sure this continues to have value. So if Track us down. I'm not saying, like, come to our houses and track us down. But if you see us, out, like, don't be afraid to come up to us and let us know and, and say, hey, I'd love to hear from this. That was another good thing is people saying, I'd love to hear more about um, tree pits was one. Oh, okay. Which actually leads us into our, our next thing or one of the future things. Okay. But, uh, or like, tree pits or um, just all sorts of different stuff and kind of gives us some different ideas on where to go next. You know, it it, it really gets us in invic- – listen, when you're when you're doing something every week – like this is episode 143, it tends to become a little bit of a grind sometimes. Like mm-hmm. we're – Tom and I are recording this literally probably right before you're going to hear it yeah. <laughs> because yeah. of how busy our schedule is. And for the longest time, it was like we were in a bubble and we weren't getting any feedback. And sometimes it gets hard and you're like, we have to do this. We have to do this. But then all of a sudden, like now we're at the point where we're seeing a lot of people. We're getting a lot of feedback. People mm-hmm. are really happy to share their experiences and it yeah. just – reinvigorates you to to keep doing this yeah. because you know it's making a difference you know it means something yeah. to someone and it wants you want to make it better and mm-hmm. push forward exactly with it. so i can't thank you enough for all the feedback we've gotten over the last couple of weeks from the conferences and trade shows because it's been just a, a wonderful feeling uh walking away from this going wow that, like what else can we do let's make this 
let's make this better. Let's make our community bigger and brighter. So thank yeah. you. Thank and you. And then um, to, to skip ahead one, I did just mention tree, tree pits, pets yeah. also for street trees. And uh, so I was at this Metro Horde event and sitting down with uh, Sophia and I, Megan from Kind Earth Growers, or formerly with Kind Earth Growers for lunch, mm-hmm. and um, a woman from, like, New York City Tree Pit. I got a card right here. Hold on. All right. Should I play harp music oh, again yeah. while you're a <laughs> little, little fast forward forward? Thomas Frantic. I don't know where looking, it went. It was around sitting right there. For the card. <laughs> it was sitting right there, but um, but she sat down with us, and we were just talking about, like, how tree trees in New York City and, like, what species they were looking at. Really, a lot of the – I didn't ask many of the questions. Was Megan was asking a lot of the questions. But it was a lot of the stuff that we had just talked about with my article in our last buzz with street trees and the need for diversity and this, what's going to survive where and all this and that. And um, talked about why don't they put fruit trees on on um, the street. And she's like, because it's a slipping hazard. <laughs> it was the big thing. Tracks and- rats, slipping hazard. Um, well, here, that was here, the big one. Here's my opinion on that too. Like, it depends on what kind of fruit you're talking about, but it is, it is attracting wildlife. Yep, it is messy in a street tree, mm. and most of the time in those conditions, because you're you're adding stress to those trees, you're not producing a, really an edible fruit. You're getting there, you know, unless you're spraying pesticides. Yeah. You're you're getting a lot of mm-hmm. inedible fruit that's just going to drop attract wildlife, and I, I could see that being yeah. And an what issue. she did say is like we'll plant some kinds of cherries mm-hmm. and that stuff. Ornamental. They can do, use fruit trees that don't drop their fruit. The ones that do, it's just too much of a mess. They're like we get way too many complaints, and um and while it's cool, you have something that will, could feed people. Yeah, that's right there. It was more people complain about it than actually eat it. And then you also have the the potential. Well, what if the soil is contaminated? Now it's in the fruit. <laughs> well, yeah, there's a lot of liability stuff yeah. that goes into it. Or, but, or if they become, hey, let's let's throw these pawpaws at this car as they they drive by. You yeah. know that's happening. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I couldn't let her get away with asking her one question, and it's okay. something you bring up on here all the time all right. about the street cheese in Chicago and how they only live for seven years. Actually, said, what is Chicago the, was four years, and that was a, okay. that was a Chicago yeah. Uh, Forrester that told me that at the time. And I asked her, I was like, what is like the average life of a street tree in New York City? And she says, it depends on where it is and what kind of tree it is. And um, and then I mentioned this like seven-year thing, or yeah. I said seven, but maybe it's four. And she's like, a lot of those studies that came out, I don't really buy Okay, that, that did it. And she's like, because you look at some of the stuff, we have like street trees that have been living in New York City for 60 years. Yeah. And um, and but there's other and she's like a lot of times it's other factors that come in yeah that like people are vandalizing the trees and, no, and that's, that's what true. shortens the life of them so and that's true I mean and, and that is part of it because you're dealing oh, yeah. with yep. with people breaking branches or hitting them with their car or oh, something yeah. like another that. thing she brought up was um was the lack in addition you know the lack of root zones one because it's oh you got the sidewalk on one side street on the other they were even saying it's the apartments. Uh, not apartments, the basements of these buildings underneath oh. are like double, it's typically double high and they actually go out under the sidewalk in some respects or the subways there. Yeah. So you don't have much room to go down as well. So you have this root zone is like the, the so- soil they have access to is literally like a little tiny bit right there. Now you have this giant tree that's supposed to grow. Well, it's crazy how they, it, they get stuff to grow there. And it's not just the exhaust and thing like you have a lot of pollution in that manner. 
But if you think about just the heat context, I mentioned mm-hmm. to you this past summer, Agatha and I went to the pierogi festival in in uh, Philadelphia in Port Richmond, and it was probably a 95-degree day, and it felt like it was about 120 degrees. Now, granted, it was crowded, but with it all being asphalt and paved and houses and lack of shade and trees, like that that environment was brutal. So I could see even just getting something established to mm-hmm. that kind of condition would be would be difficult. But there's a lot of factors to it, and it's what is the best option. You want to create habitat. You want to create uh, native trees, but it's so unnatural of a yeah. setting that it's difficult. Yeah. yeah, so that was – I actually talked to her and said, hey, this might be something – I would think it's some, well, something I'm more interested in. I think a lot of our listeners would be more interested in as well. So I actually have a contact there and oh, awesome. said, hey, we might be reaching out to you to come on the podcast to talk about I would why love you that. choose street trees and when you choose native trees, when you don't choose native trees, and the reasoning behind a lot of it just to kind of – I know not every one of our listeners is living in a, a rural or suburban area. A lot of them are living in, in cities, in urban areas, and they, this is a, one of the few opportunities they have to engage with nature on a daily basis is through street trees. So – um, I love you, it. Yeah, if let's you're do interested it. in it, drop us a line. Let us know. Let us know in the group, uh, the Facebook group. We'd love to hear about it. And uh, or and same thing if you're not interested in it. I'm interested. Yeah, I'd like to hear it. So, I think that would be a good conversation. Then, uh, then the last thing I had, I like I said, we had a lot of follow up. Was uh, someone just posted in our the Native Plants Healthy Planet Facebook group this morning? I saw that about I didn't get a the red foxes, it, yeah. which we brought up a couple times, and it was a uh, kind of like a shocking thing that came up to us. I think we first brought it up on the episode that I had recorded in Kentucky with um, with uh, Shannon Tromboli from Backyard Ecology and Kyle Leibarger from Native Habitat Project about a story from when we were at the dinner the night before and we were talking about red foxes and how they were an introduced species and it was just kind of like everyone's mind kind of blew and like oh we didn't we didn't know that yeah. <laughs> and then the person who's uh, actually had to look it up and say oh no yeah this is this is true but uh, what's it. Christopher Ryland actually shared in the group today, our Native Plants Healthy Planet Facebook group, an article um, of a study that was done by the USDA uh, kind of going over that and saying that there are – red foxes are native to North America, but they weren't always native to eastern North America um, or at least the, like the mid-Atlantic area uh, in southeast. And it is also true – that Europeans brought over red foxes, I guess same species, um, brought them over from Europe and introduced them for fox hunting purposes. But it was unclear whether what they were finding in like the southeast and eastern region were migration foxes, red foxes from like the northern um, climates or if they were from Europe. Okay. And uh, when they did DNA testing, what they found is what it appears to be like the ones we have in New Jersey and South today are tend to have higher DNA counts from native fox populations. Oh, okay. But they were finding a lot of the – where they were finding the highest levels of European DNA strains was actually in the Pacific Northwest where the red fox was native. Like that's kind of where they came from that direction. Yeah. So – um, they're like, yeah, they definitely did cross. Yeah. There's evidence that there was crosses there. Um, Interesting. But it wasn't like it was – it's kind of become like a – I don't want to say a myth, 
But everyone says, oh, no, the Red Fox is here. We're introduced. Yeah. And it's not as uh, as black and white as that. Like so many things. Yeah. I was I was going to comment this, and he's like, he's not probably not going to get this. But like so many – the answers to so many questions are it depends. It depends yeah. what you're looking at, yeah. what you're asking. That's like an economics question too. It, it depends on the scenario. Yes. Um, That's so. very true. Since you're speaking about the group, I know we didn't have this on our follow-up. But one thing I wanted to mention, is there, there is a conversation going on right now that, mm-hmm. about uh, – Poor experiences with another group that a lot of the members have been in, and it was interesting to see everyone's experiences, and um, I'm happy that we have a forum that everyone can talk about this politely. I make close comments on that because I just want to make sure we keep it productive, and I don't want it to turn into be bashing another group. Yeah. Um, So I think we kind of let it go, and I think everyone's had its piece. I may close it down just to say, hey, Mm -hmm. let's let's not make it about other – actually, members from the other group. Tried to chime in and it wasn't going to get ugly, and I kind of didn't allow it. Yep. Um, yep. So, and uh, it's it's one of those things. Like I get it. Um, with with as from a from a page or a group admin, <laughs> yeah. I understand some of this stuff because you want to kind of control the conversation. And there's there are hot button issues, yeah. pesticides being one of them, where um where people have very different opinions. And like the, the native habitat managers group is like a great example of that, yeah. where you have. People who are I wouldn't I don't want to say pro pesticide, but like pro responsible pesticide use, yeah. and then others who are like and not at all costs, yeah. Yeah. and they just go to freaking war all the time. And, and the admins do a really good job over there saying, "Hey, like this is an acceptable tool yeah. for we like you have to understand that people are doing this, and it can't be." Just take the tool out of the toolbox. You can express your displeasure, but don't say they're an idiot. No, and, and you know what? It's I feel like. Everyone was pretty responsible in, yeah, in no. the conversation. Just saying, I was wait. I was watching from afar. I was doing a lot of other stuff, but I'm watching. I'm like, this is going to get out of hand at some point. Yeah, and, and it never did. It no, was it, like it never everyone did. was very, very cordial. Yeah, probably yeah, not the right word. But, but I just feel like that one group is getting a lot of negative connotations. Yeah. I I'd rather not go there. It, it was said, and I, I I feel at this point everything that could be said had been said, mm-hmm. and I'm going to probably yep. cut it off. Yep. I, I just wrote myself yep. a note. Yeah, but the, the but purpose... I want to say I appreciate everyone having a very productive oh, yeah. and cordial conversation. That's mm-hmm. what we wanted. We wanted that environment yep. where there was no arguing. It was a sharing of thoughts and feelings, and I appreciated reading that. I, I kind of – it warmed my heart a little bit. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like reading yeah. it. Yeah. So. All right. <laughs> well, now we're into the native plant talk. Now yes, that we are. What are we, 10 minutes in, 20 minutes in? <laughs> oh, 20 minutes in. Yeah, we're 20 so, minutes in. All right. So let's kick it off where we typically kick it off with uh, That's Hot. That's hot. You want to go first? Yeah, I can go first. All right. So my plant this week was uh, a plant that's gotten a lot of, I don't know if I'd say positive press. It's been, it's not like they're bashing the plant. It's negative things that are happening to the plant that they're talking about and talking about how important the plant is. Is that positive press? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, but that's uh, that plant is Atlantic white cedar, uh, nice. which is an evergreen and um, not a true cedar, also important to remember that. Yeah. But it grows in cedar swamps, which are probably named cedar swamps because they grow there. Yeah. Makes sense, right? But it grows in swampy areas, especially along in the coastal areas, but not where. It's salt water, where it's fresh water. Fresh water, yeah. And um, and why it's getting been getting a lot of press over the last couple of years is that with sea level rise and um, some of these freshwater swamps are starting to become 
uh, inundated with some salt water. And these trees can't take it. No, they can take inundation. Yeah, they can take they, inundation, but, but not, they, not with, with salt, salt water. water. Yeah. So now you have um, these forests, these cedar forests, and there's not a lot of plants that grow in those kind of conditions anyway. But they're uh, they're starting to die out because they can't take the salt water, and that leaves a whole host of other problems because you don't have that canopy cover anymore, um, and that limits what plants are going to be able to grow underneath of them, which opens up opportunities for new plants as well. But, but it, it also it also opens opportunity because now yeah. you have salinity. There's limited, limited, yeah. sub, limited sources for what's going to volunteer that can handle that salinity, and that's what happened at the Meadowlands. Yeah, you know, now all of a sudden it's like, oh, that's great, Phragmites. Oh, yeah. habitat now. So you have these out. these ghost forests, uh, so to speak. Actually, I don't know if you remember when we first started doing. Yeah. This oh, or you, that, you did an article. I think on one it. of my first articles yep. was on ghost forests. Yep. Yeah, yes. we, it's and they just keep publishing articles about it because it's, it's a serious problem. But one of the things I just well I kind of knew it somewhat, but I couldn't I could never remember the name of it. Um, is there's a butterfly called the Hessel's hair streak, mm-hmm. which is actually a newer uh, identified butterfly. It it was around forever, but it was um, often lumped in together with a different butterfly that I can't remember. Another hair streak, and I can't or the juniper hair streak. That's what it was called. Well, I can't see that name without the <laughs> so off topic Hessel. It makes me think of Fight Club. Did you oh. ever see Fight Club? Yeah, yeah. Multiple so you times. know when he takes the the uh, convenience store uh, attendant out back and threatens to to shoot him if he doesn't go back to college. His name is Leonard K. Hessel. I don't remember that yeah. scene. And he's like, it's "Tomorrow will be the best day of Leonard K. Hessel's life. His breakfast will taste better. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be the best breakfast he ever had." Yeah, sorry, but um, yeah, no, that's that's an interesting tidbit. Yeah, there you <laughs> but, go. But yeah, so. That butterfly will only – it's host species. Sole host species is Atlantic white cedar. So as you see, okay, there's a, a cedar swamp inundated with some um, – or now it's has salt water in it. Yeah. The Atlantic white cedar dies. These guys have nowhere to go. Yeah. So they die out with them. And as these cedar swamps become less and less frequent, you lose the butterfly in, like – I'm sure at the exact same rate, if not yeah. even in a quicker rate. Yeah. So – it's just an interesting thing. It was another presentation at um at the Metro Horde event that and, I went and, to. They were talking about that in particular. So And the reason why it's so important, it's not like you can just create an Atlantic white cedar bog anywhere oh, because yeah, it's yeah. it's it's pH sensitive. Mm-hmm. It wants a pH at like four, you know, I think if I remember correctly. Like it likes a really low pH. So it's not like you can get them to survive other places, but it's not ideal. Like it's it's a pretty specific condition that they like, and that's why you don't see them in a lot of lawns, uh, you know, oh, a lot yeah. of properties. Yep. It's just it, it's a little it's a little tricky. So you lose that habitat. You're not just recreating it somewhere else. Exactly. Now, if you don't know what an Atlantic white cedar or Canisipris thioides, a uh, very fun uh, botanical name to say. Yes, it is. Um, if you don't know what they look like, I'll read a little bit what Jersey Your Friendly Yard says about them. And uh, is Atlantic white cedar is a medium to large aromatic evergreen tree with a tall, narrow form and straight trunk. The scaled blue-green leaves have flat, fan-like structures. The wood is decay-resistant and has traditionally been used to make boats, shingles, and other building materials. Um, and someone asked me at this conference as well, like, oh, why is it? Because it, right now in the fall or in the winter, they get like this like reddish maroon color, at least in the nursery. Yeah. Um, I can't say I've noticed that in the wild, but I haven't really been looking for it until now. Yeah. Um, and they asked me about the 
why oh where's the white <laughs> name come from I'm like i'm pretty sure it's coming from the wood what yeah the wood is very white where red cedar the wood is very red yeah so um yeah yeah, it's, yeah that's, my that's a great choice that's a great choice yeah definitely it's uh i i have a soft spot for it sometimes that color too in the winter sometimes it can vary and make it look dead almost oh yeah it's uh yeah. i described it in a video i just made as somewhere between um between purple and rust. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah and they're good. all a little bit different. Some of them are like kind of orange and some of them are, are more like yeah. purple colored. And and then there's still like bright green ones out there too. Oh, it's, totally. Uh, well, totally. The thousand, I don't even know how many thousands we have out there. It's a great it's choice. Like, and if you yeah. get, you know, some of the some of the conditions when you're like kayaking down uh, through the Pine Barrens and you get into these white cedar bogs where you know it's it's really amazing and it's a really cool habitat you can start to see the, the change in the water a little bit because of the tannins it's it's pretty cool so that's a great choice yeah. um and what do you have this week for i went on a little bit different i kept thinking about the the carrick's trials yeah and you know i i have to say thank you for everyone that listened oh, we did say we were going to do that didn't we I yeah, forgot all about that's that. Okay. We, that's we okay. We had said at least one of us. Did. Yeah, we had said so. early in the week. Oh, we're both going to pick our favorite carrots, and, and I completely forgot about it. I got sidetracked with them. Okay. White cedar. But <laughs> for those of you like that, that's our. You know, it surpassed the the first week download yeah. listening that we had set with uh, your lawn does what with Doctor Peter Grofman. This totally surpassed it days ago. So. We want to thank you, everyone that listened and shared it, and and Sam for coming on. And we're looking forward to making this a reoccurring segment with Sam every year at the at the trial. So it's nice to see how interested everyone was in the trials and Carrick's in particular. So I thought I would pick one out that Sam mentioned in the in the episode, which is Carrick stricta, mm-hmm. and the common name is tussock sedge. And I got this from wallflower.org. I'm trying to keep it consistent where mm-hmm. I get the information, oh, yeah. Yeah. so you know where to go to find more as well. It is a slender uh, two to five foot grass. Uh, five foot is – that's more tussock I think and bloom. I, I Yeah. I, I don't know if I'd say five. I'm, I'm thinking two to three foot. Yeah, me too. Uh, grass-like plant with a cluster of brown seed capsules clinging high on the stem. Stems bearing greenish or brownish spikes of inconspicuous flowers above dense tufts of grass-like leaves. Green leaves are exceeded by the stem in height, forms large tufts or hummocks to three foot wide. Uh, the easiest way to recognize this sedge is by its distinctive, distinctive elevated tussock, uh, which are dense tufts in open wet areas. It grows abundantly, often in seasonally flooded sites, can take up to six inches of permanent inundation, fresh water only. Uh, it's native from Maine to Georgia, west to Texas, and north to North Dakota. The bloom color is white to green to brown and blooms May through June. Prefer sun. Um, as Sam, uh, Sam Hodley uh, mentioned, it was a good nesting habitat for bog turtles. It does track birds and butterflies. It's the larval host for eyed brown, mulberry wing butterfly, and black dash. So it does uh, have pollinator habitat. Uh, it is a larval host, great uh, habitat for bog turtles. We have it occurring naturally in, in yeah. like uh, almost like vernal pools in the mm-hmm. woods uh, right down the road from us. Yep. Like, yep. And you see it this time of the year really standing out. So. Uh, it's and that's really rich in habitat and wildlife right there too. So I just thought that would be a good one to pick, especially if you're looking wetland and you have areas that flood. It's a good, good grass that you can put or a good sedge that you can put in. Mm-hmm. So All two right, great cool. choices. Yeah. So we have uh, yeah, I, I like both of those choices too. Um, I was gonna say 
we have some really good articles this week, if we I do. do so say myself. We do. Let's so get why it. don't we get into this or that? So I actually – I wish I had written down – that the article I wanted to use again was a um, paywall, mm. and I couldn't get – like I was able to kind of like piece it together, mm-hmm. and then I was looking at it, and I was like no one's going to ever be able to read this. Yeah. And I, I kind of stepped away from it, and I was really sad Mine was it, from the New York Times, and I someone uh, shared it on LinkedIn. I think it was – is it – I don't know how to say his last name. It. It's one of our customers, Brad Mazursky. Is that his, oh, how do you say his yeah. last name, friend? You, uh, you're you're uh, Polish. Mazursky. Yeah, Mazursky. But uh, no, Brad, he listens Brad the and, dad. Yeah, yeah. He, um, and he's he's one of our customers. Yep. Maybe yep. he can call in and <laughs> say his yeah. his name. My original article was about the the unseasonably cold temperatures in San Antonio mm-hmm. is killing off invasives. Interesting, yeah. Um, that they've had issues with that they were able to – the cold just kind of knocked them back to where you could go through and actually make decent headway. And I thought that was an interesting article when you think of climate change, not one of the things you think about, but it was actually helping them in their fight against invasives. And I thought that was an interesting article. You, you can find it in a few different places and piece it together um, if you want to look that up. But mm-hmm. – um, yeah, but so uh, yeah, we have I to was, say who, who oh, yeah, won. say who won. So uh, last week's articles, I had the one about the uh, New England cottontail uh, and its uh, threat of extinction, and and uh, kind of how regulations can help or deter that. And Tom had his article on street trees and climate change, and we do have a winner, and the winner is Tom won sixteen to thirteen. And that was a good amount of votes, I think. Oh, like yeah. it's nice oh, to see you. that many thank people you. that many people I, voting. So I appreciate all uh, all of your support. So uh, I will never forget it. <laughs> and, and you get to choose if you want to go yeah, first or second. Um, friend, I'm going to let you go first. All right, all right, awesome. I'm interested to hear Did you more see about my, what okay. your article is? So uh, my article is called "Seed Bank Saves California Plants from Extinction." Uh, it's by Saul Gonzalez, and it was on KCRW.com. Uh, It's it's a short article, so I'm going to read the whole thing. Um, When it comes to the diversity of native plant life, no other place in the country can compare to California, home to 6,500 kinds of indigenous plants. Didn't you say in our trivia that Florida had the most? Florida Uh, was number one. For for it was for um, for champion trees. Oh, oh, that's what it was. Okay, never mind. Whoever was first, it was for champion trees. It was Florida, I think. Um, we have more kinds of plants than any other state in the United States, says Naomi Fraga, director of conservation programs at the California Botanical Garden in Claremont. We're incredibly rich and diverse, but about a third of the state's native plant species and populations, says Fraga, are now endangered or threatened from overdevelopment, competition from invasive species, droughts, and wildfires. That's why the California Botanic Garden is dedicated to protecting and showcasing California's native plants, the largest such effort in the country. It's the work uh, the garden has been doing since its founding in 1927. One local example of a plant that's seen uh, its habitat shrink, says Fraga, is the California black walnut. This is a plant that used to be abundant in Los Angeles County, but now all across the hillsides and throughout development and changes, populations have been declining, says Fraga. To save native flora, staff and volunteers from the Botanic Garden regularly travel into California's backcountry searching for what remains of the most threatened plants. We find them. Researchers take the plant samples back to the garden where they can be grown and propagated in its nursery. 
Many of them are very rare, says Fraga. They are in very uh, precarious situations, and they could blink out at any moment. In case a plant does vanish in the wild, this botanic garden has an additional fallback, a room full of big freezer units from Home Depot. They're the same freezers many people have in their homes to store bulk quantities of food, but instead of steaks and pork chops, this garden freezers are filled with rows of meticulously cataloged and packaged seed samples from hundreds of, pl- hundreds of plant species across the state. The freezers at the seed bank are like biodiversity lifeboats. If one of the species stored in a freezer actually went extinct in the wild, the seed could be a way, maybe the only way, to bring the plant back. The freezer stores seeds from about a third of the state's native plant life. Eventually, botanists at the garden want to store seed samples from all of them, extra insurance against a possible future plant apocalypse. Fraga says the public can join the fight to protect California plant biodiversity by planting native flora like sage, milkweed, or California lilacs in their home gardens or part of community planting events. I dream about that, says Fraga. I dream about native plant landscapes across people's yards, even if you can only do container plants on your balcony. It's, a, it's magical to build a garden and just see life just sort of arrive. So very short to the point, but it was nice to see an effort like where they realized the decline of habitat and native plants in an area, and they're taking steps to at least ensure – that they can keep it going, and that's a good way to to. If you're at that point, that's a good way to get people like, oh, maybe I need to plant these in my property. Maybe if I can get these plants, I should plant them to prevent them from going extinct. Because you mm-hmm. think, look yeah. at look at what we're seeing in New Jersey with with bald eagles right now. Mm-hmm. Um, nineteen, what was it? Nineteen seventies. There was one known bald eagle in the state of New Jersey. Now uh, one known nesting pair. One known nesting pair. Now yeah. it's two hundred. Over 240 or over 250 yep. nesting pairs. I was saying I just went for a hike on – I know I shared it in the Facebook group on Saturday. As soon as we got out of the car, there was a bald eagle circling the lake that we were going to hike around. So it was – it's just nice to see, and it makes people aware and become more active. So articles like this mm-hmm. where they're saying the threat of how bad it is, if it's enough to get one person to plant one plant that they weren't thinking about on their property. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, Man, it makes a big difference. Mm-hmm. So I, it was just nice to see that kind of effort happening to make sure that something doesn't go extinct. Yeah. Yeah, and it's – um, I'm glad that people are thinking that way. Um, I, We've talked about before. you got to have like multiple options available. Yeah. And uh, I think the goal is that we not let these plants go extinct before they go extinct. But, but it's you need to actually have that backup plan and say, okay, what happens if we – and that someone's actually thinking about this. I wouldn't even gotten there if it, I was in that role. No, and it's nice they're planting them in their nursery so they have – listen, not everything grows from seed. There's plenty of things we would love to grow from seed that is so difficult you just can't. Like sweet fern is from root cuttings, mm-hmm. not from seed, or Carex pensilvanica sometimes yeah. is from divisions because oh, yeah. they don't always produce a viable seed. So um, the fact that they have the plants, they're raising awareness, they're storing seed. They're, they're they're thinking ahead. It's a shame that we're at the point that that's our last resorts. <laughs> yeah. Um. I'm just hoping. You know, the one thing I've noticed from all these conversations and all these uh, conferences and trade shows is that there is a growing awareness. We see it by the amount of listens we get on the podcast. Mm-hmm. We see it when we're just talking to people. Uh, in oh, the research yeah. that yep. Dr. Peter Grothman or the the National Wildlife Federation are doing, mm-hmm. we see the increased attention. Hopefully that continues enough that a lot of these worries and woes are are like, oh, remember when we had to store all these seeds because we thought the plants were going to die? Yeah. Like, I would like that to be the conversation yes. 10 years from now. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, it's uh, just a different way of thinking, but it's it's really I think it's really important. I do. Um, too. How how scared do you think they are when the power goes out? I'm sure they have backup plans, but <laughs> yeah. the power's out, and we don't have any gas for the generator or the backup generator. Now what do we do? <laughs> yeah, it's like oh crap, oh crap, oh crap. Well, just look but, at look at uh, areas of the country that had issues with water, with yeah. contaminated water. It's like mm-hmm. oh, what's our what's yeah. our backup plan? Yep. You know, that's you need that to sustain life, and now mm-hmm. all of a sudden, uh, it yep. doesn't exist. And all these native plants sustain life. Yep. yep. You know, whether you think about it that way or not, they're supporting yeah. something. Yeah. That oh yeah. Without it, they can't survive. So, no, great you, article. Take, you 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 ruin enough of that biodiversity, we can't survive. So, yeah. um, not everyone believes that. I think the science is. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that was a great choice, friend. Thank you. What do you so, have this week? Uh, mine is an article that was in the New York Times, and I couldn't get it to create a paywall for me. So, I don't, right. it's an opinion piece. I will put that out. There's an opinion okay. piece by a, a, a guy, uh, Mark Elbrock. Um, Dr. Mark Elbrock, by the way, and uh, and he's um, well. Uh, the article is titled uh, "Cougars Are Heading East, and We Should Welcome Them." This is not about TLC's new show, Milf Island. This is <laughs> actually about the cats. <laughs> but um, Dr. Elbrock is the director of the Puma program at Pantera, uh, a nonprofit group focused on protecting the world's wild cats and the ecosystems they inhabit. And he's also the author of the Cougar Conundrum. And um, right. and he brings up some really interesting points, and I think it's something what a lot of us have been thinking about. Um, and also brings up like, yeah, so this is like, well, probably the same things what a lot of us have been thinking yeah. about when it comes to to cougars. So I'm going to read a, a good portion of it, and um, if you want to read the whole thing, you can do it yourself. We'll post the link in our Facebook group. There you go. Because uh, I definitely don't read it all. I cut a lot out just to make it timely. Yeah. So all right. Um, Numerous cougar sightings were reported east of the Mississippi River last fall, encounters that have become more frequent in recent years. Cougars once had the run of the continent, but they were virtually eliminated from the eastern United States by the early 1900s, victims of bounty hunting and habitat loss. In recent decades, their numbers in the western United States have rebounded, and now these big cats, also known as mountain lions, panthers, pumas, uh, are slowly moving east. Newly published research by... Uh, Dr. Elbrock and 12 of his colleagues was pinpointed over a dozen landscapes large enough to sustain cougars indefinitely in the states that border uh, or are east of the Mississippi River. Uh, Their return would most likely result in healthier forests, safer roadways, less zoonotic diseases, and in turn healthier human communities. This will all depend, on, of course, on whether we can learn to coexist with these top-tier carnivores. As a scientist who has studied these cats for years, I'm, I'm not the one who's saying this. Yeah. He's confident um, uh, that we can, but it will require planning that must begin now. New state policies, public outreach, and education to support from the public uh, a cre- for a creature that was once purposely pushed towards oblivion. Our team of researchers explored in the habitat potential for cougars using factors important for cougar survival like forest cover, distance to development, and highways, human population density, and how people perceive wildlife. Our research was published uh, online last week in the Journal of Biodiversity and Conservation, shows there is plenty of room for them. Results revealed 17 areas in the upper Midwest, Ozarks, Appalachia, and New England, each at least or nearly uh, at least or nearly twice the size of Yosemite National Park that fit the bill. Of these, 13 had enough space to support long-term cougar populations. Another study separate from ours showed similar results. Wary of humans, cougars feed mainly on deer and smaller prey. The risk of cougar attack on people or domestic animals is extremely low. 
and almost zero with pragmatic precautions. Fewer than two dozen people have been killed by cougars in North America in the past 100 years. Uh, males range in size from 120 to 180 pounds, depending on where they live. Females are much smaller, ranging from 70 to 110 pounds. Uh, scientists estimate e- recolonization of the eastern United States by cougars could reduce deer vehicle collisions by 22% over 30 years, averting 21,000 uh, human injuries, 155 human fatalities, and over $2 billion in costs. The return of cougars to South Dakota in the 1990s, for example, reduced costs of deer vehicle collisions by an estimated $1.1 million annually. We know how uh, that large carnivores greatly or greatly benefit entire ecosystems and hold those ecosystems together. Cougars interact with nearly 500 species from elk to beetles. Evidence suggests that these cats can control chronic wasting disease among deer and other wildlife diseases. Coexisting with cougars will require education around perceived versus actual threats what benefits the cats bring and how they uh, how to be around them safely. Uh, this is especially important for people that living on the front lines of cougar comeback, like rural ranchers and small livestock owners. Eastern states must adopt policies that protect cougar, cougar habitats and address board, uh, broader implications of living alongside these cats so that the ones spotted in Illinois and Minnesota have somewhere to land. In part, this means state wildlife plans with protections that list the species as endangered, threatened, or of greatest conservation need until their numbers are sufficient to reduce these protections. We could wait for the cats to make their way east, or we could choose to support the cougars' return by reestablishing them there. Our research, however, points to areas in the northeast that could support self-sustaining populations. These places are characterized by lower livestock densities than other areas. We identified and are complemented by local people who view wildlife as more than a resource to be exploited. However we proceed, these big cats are on the way back to the eastern haunts. Midwest sightings are increasing, with hundreds of cougars spotted east uh, of established populations over the past three decades. These trailblazers are often young males like the Connecticut cat, which travels 1,700 miles from the Black Hills of South Dakota to the northeast to search for unclaimed territory and a mate. Females will follow more slowly, so they're unlikely to see frolicking cougar kittens in the east anytime soon. And um, I really like that art. Yeah, it's, a, it's something we've been thinking about when we talk about wolves and... Yeah. and um, and coyotes, which are already in the east, uh, wolves are not in the east. And I think everyone says, oh, "Yeah, we have way too many deer," um, and it's a, a plant issue and an animal issue because the deer are destroying so much habitat. Um, and a lot of people, when those the arguments come up, point to Yellowstone and the whole argument of reint- wolf reintroduction and trophic cascade. And I'd heard some interviews with actually people. Yeah who were in part of that program with the wolf reintroduction back in, I guess it was the 90s, right? I believe so, yeah. And, um, and they, a lot of them were saying, a lot of the wolves were actually recolonizing on their own at that time. So it was hard to say which had more of an impact, the introduced wolves or the ones that recolonized. Um, and then at the same time, they were saying that uh, mountain lions were actually naturally recolonizing that area too. And one of the interviews in particular was saying how, the wolves got a lot of credit, but you think like a pack of wolves, there's eight wolves and they would kill an elk yeah. and, um, and feed on it for a, a few weeks where a mountain lion, a single mountain lion would kill like multiple elk in that same period. So like a lot of the credit was given to the wolves cause humans developed this program and it's like, Hey, look what we did. But he's like, I think the mountain lions will actually did. They're a much superior predator. Yeah. And he's like, I think personally they probably did more and they just aren't getting the credit for it. Um, so it's it's proven that it works. And like this can... this concept can work. It not just as a, like that's a generalization, but 
it there's merit to it. Yeah, and you figure the popul- deer populations are enough to sustain. Yeah, any <laughs> yeah, at least here any population. Oh, like yeah. it would make sense if you're looking for for food, it, now, you would find a buffet. And now with that, um, I'll also say with that uh, that article, they actually have a map that they put in their study. In those areas, when you look at the cougar areas, like where we are in central New Jersey, no. they're not around yeah. here. Um, you have a patch. Uh, Maybe the Delaware Water Gap. You have a pa- big patch um, along the Great Lakes in upper Minnesota, Wisconsin, Michigan, um, Adirondack Park in New York, okay. Delaware Water Gap. Uh, that's probably the that's only Ridge place that comes yeah. close to New Jersey is like that Catskill area that down Valley. into yeah. to PA. Yeah. Um, the northern tier in PA, um, southern tier in New York area, and then getting into Maine. Was basically a little bit in New Hampshire, Vermont, Massachusetts, but mostly Maine is the New England areas, and then you go um, south into Appalachia, uh, West Virginia. Which I've always heard rumors that they were there already. I I, um, I had assumed my they brother were. actually said he thought he saw them and heard them, yeah. um, and people were like, "Oh yeah, they're around here." So I was surprised to see that they say they aren't there now because I thought they were um, Missouri, Arkansas, and then Florida is actually the only state that they say has current cougars already okay. and that's the florida panther Pan- is um, yeah, okay yeah. the same yeah. species just different area yeah. um so the map was was interesting and uh and what was i going with with that was uh oh yeah so talking about deer you have these deer populations that are really high but they're higher in these like suburban residential areas like where we are it's it's you could not support cougar populations and our deer numbers at 125 deer per square mile. Yeah. You go or you go to like the DC area. You can't put cougars there no. and their populations in some areas are like 300 deer per square mile. Um, so it's not really going to help there. And I almost worry if, well, this is going back to the trophic cascade thing with the Yellowstone. Yeah. One of the benefits wasn't necessarily that they were just killing the and the elk and the ungulates. It was also that they're chasing them around, yeah. so they couldn't stay in one place too long. So, and these the cougars are going to be now. This is like again, I, this is me as uh, a nursery person sitting here not knowing anything about. But I'm like, well, if they're eating well in their areas, once that cougar population gets large enough, you already have males that are coming from South Dakota or North Dakota, the Black Hills in South Dakota, and coming all the way to Connecticut. Now, if you have a population in the Adirondacks and you have a young male that's looking for food and a mate, what's going to stop them into coming into like residential North Jersey where you already have black bears and they're an issue? Yeah. Um, So you're you're not. And and that's that could be an issue, but that's something they're dealing with on out in the Pacific Northwest. And if Mm -hmm. it was a problem, I think we we'd probably be hearing about it. I think. Yeah, I I guess I have heard about it. Like you look at California where they've. You have a sustainable cougar population. They actually banned cougar hunting, which a lot of people feel really good about. We did and the same thing with black bears in New Jersey. Um, but you have for the statistics I always heard thrown around and were basically they when you could hunt mountain lions, the hunters would kill about three hundred mountain lions a year. I'm not sure what the population total was. But uh, they'd kill 300 mountain lions a year, and you, the state was getting the uh, the ta- or license revenue, 
the local businesses were benefiting because the people were coming in to yeah. do this and and spend money at the restaurants and hotels and all that kind of stuff. They banned the mountain lion hunting, and for nuisance complaints, they still kill 300 mountain lions a year, but you're paying a state employee to go do it now. Yeah. So it was you basically had – it was a feel-good thing, but the same number of lions were dying. Yeah. Um, and I think that's kind of happened in New Jersey. New Jersey banned the black hunt or black bear hunt, and um, it was like a field. Oh, we're not going to kill any bears, and it got to a point where like, oh no, we or the bear population going up. We're getting so many calls from homeowners saying the bears are in my trash, the bears are chasing around my dog. Yeah. Like, um, there's not attacks, but like interactions with humans yeah. that are, are or I, there have been attacks. Yeah. Um, but it's not like it's. Attack's not the wrong word. It's not like the bear was seeking these humans out. It was the humans probably startled the bear, and the bear reacted. But yeah. uh, And now you have – they actually went to a point where, like, we can't take care of this on this one. We need to open up the black bear hunt again. I, I think a good so, – for, for a good primer, it's a good opportunity for a shout-out to yeah. Dr. Enrique Sala. If yeah. you hadn't gotten the book, The Nature of Nature, get it. He does a really good – there's one chapter on explaining the whole theory on predator and prey mm. based on scientific studies done in the early 1900s. I can't remember the scientist's name, but it was I believe it was a Russian scientist. Mm-hmm. Yep. That just basically yep. says if you put – I think he did it with single-cell organisms. If you put predator and prey together, predators will kill all the prey and yeah. then starve oh, yeah. to death. If you give prey protection where they can hide, they'll they'll hide. Mm-hmm. And then the predators starved to death. So the only thing he found that worked was the prey has to have a place to hide and predators need to be able to roam. And mm-hmm. then as the prey gets too big yeah. to hide or their populations get too big to hide, the, the predators go from place to place and pick yeah. off oh, yeah. the excess. So mm-hmm. yep. they're, they're not actually killing or depleting a, another species. They're just kind of – Keeping the population yeah. in check, and the, and the lack of prey then keeps the predators in check, yeah. and it's it's yeah. a, when they die down, yeah. they, the, the the predators yep. can't get overpopulated, so they kind of balance each other out as long as all those other factors mm-hmm. exist. Yeah, if you if you change that, then it it changes the whole mm-hmm. the, the whole dynamic. Yeah, but. and it's a I, we even talked about it on here too. There's the wolf reintroduction plan in Colorado, and you look at. Um, and I, this was something we brought up. I couldn't remember the term, but it's ballot, ballot box biology. And uh, and it was basically you had – it was voted on. Are we going to reintroduce – general election. Are we going to reintroduce wolves in Colorado or are we not? And the places where they were proposing to reintroduce the wolves voted overwhelmingly not to. Yeah. And the urban centers, which were going to be nowhere near the wolf reintroduction, voted overwhelmingly that they wanted to. And there's just more people living in the urban centers than in the rural areas where the wolves were going to be. So the people who didn't want the wolves got stuck with the wolves, and the people who wanted the wolves are never going to see the wolves. And so it's like a – it's an interesting – it is a it is a great cougar conundrum. It is. I, I'm going to actually look for that book because I'm interested. <laughs> I think it's a really cool idea. It's something that we, we have deer overpopulation uh, or overabundance. We need to do something. I think this is a valid way of doing it. That's it's, nature's way of doing it. That's nature's way of doing it. It's a way to reintegrate. That's what we keep talking about. It's how are people going to react when you have a mountain lion walking through your backyard? That's the big question. You got to educate people. And um, I think it's a lot of people are on board until they see that, even though it's not a problem. Like, 
It could be. With it could pets, become a problem, pets, but like, uh, but a mountain lion walking in your backyard would be. I say this as again, not seeing a mountain lion. I think it would be a cool, a cool thing to have happen, but not when it's all the time. And I wouldn't be letting my not toddler middle, run around not outside. In the middle of a it's, barbecue with toddlers. Listen, yeah. we've we've probably all seen that video. I think it's Golden Gate Park with the coyote coming through mm-hmm. uh, the crowd and targeting a young boy. Yeah. Um, and and that's and they were saying that this was a coyote that had multiple incidents. Like it was a repeat offender of doing this, and they had to intervene and take the coyote out. You know, and that's something where you you you, you think it can coexist, and maybe it can, and maybe it can't. Mm-hmm. There's going to be yeah. issues, and it's it's a there there has to be precautions yeah you know i will a little aside i'll apologize for for taking my drink there because i know the ice noise annoys so many people <laughs> including myself you know, i i usually try and be very strategic with how much ice i put in my glass so that doesn't rattle and yeah. uh i didn't today no worries but, but yeah no it's a I, I love i really like the, the article i want to look more into this stuff um i haven't heard any other i don't think doing what we're doing is a viable option um because the issues we have are the same issues. The, yeah. the hunting population isn't effective enough, in part because they can't get where the deer populations are. The or the deer uh, removal is most needed. All right, here's here's so. my prediction. I'm going to win this vote because this is an emotional topic. You're, oh yeah, yours. it sure is. Now, yeah. if you win, I would be very excited that that many people feel this way about this article. Yeah, I'm yeah. guessing that it's going to. You're going to get people that say, oh, no, we can't have cougars in our backyard. So I'm hoping you win. Oh, I'm see, guessing I, you I, don't. I was going to think it's the other way where a lot of people are really excited about doing this um, and kind of wave off some of the, the potential conflict. Because doing this is going to rate – the instance of a, a mountain lion walking through my backyard right now is significantly low. We barely get bears here even though they're they're relatively close. But we do get bears here every once yeah. in a while. Um so it's like cool to entertain that thought. Oh, this could happen if we do this, even though they'll be a couple hundred miles away. But there's going to come out every once in a while. It could happen. Um, but then it's going to happen, and people are going to be like, "Holy crap! There's mountain lion in my backyard." <laughs> do you know how so, many times I've been in New England? Have, yeah. have you ever seen a moose? Uh, a wild I've, moose? I've never seen. I've at never, least I've never seen a male wild. Moose. I've never seen, seen a moose. A, yeah. You know, for the amount of time you spend yep. where it is moose habitat, I've never seen a moose. Mm-hmm. You know, so. Chances are, yeah. you're probably not. You're you're going to oh, know yeah. the people it's, that do it have interaction with it. But. Yeah, yep. And these the mountain lions are very reclusive in a way. They don't want to be found. They don't want to be seen. With, with that being said, um, I want to see a moose. Yeah. Oh, I want to. Everyone wants to see a moose. But um, so I guess the really some of my thoughts, friend. Uh, okay. There's only one thing I can left to say. I'm gonna get this one, Cougar. I don't even know what that means, but we just had to put it in there. All right. Two fantastic articles. Uh, By the time you hear this, the the vote should be up on our Facebook group, the Native Plants Healthy Planet Facebook group. So make sure you go there and vote because – Hey, before we get into listener shout-outs, I was curious. I know we kind of talked about it beforehand. How's your journey going with Magic Mind? I've really been enjoying it. Um, again, I, I don't take it every day. I kind of take it when I think I need it, and uh, and we've had a really busy week where we're going to a lot of trade shows. We, it, we it, talked about that already, but 
for for February, yeah. we're working way more hours than I think I've so ever worked in February. But I did uh, what four trade shows in uh, in three days, three days. <laughs> and so Monday I didn't take a magic mind, but it's first day of the week. I'm yeah. like pumped up. I'm yeah. energized. Uh, Tuesday I was going up to Brooklyn, and I'm like, I'm going to be dragging today. I woke. I now this is the second day in a row I've woken up at five, um, and I got I came here to grab some stuff from my desk. Took a magic mind, and I just felt, like, really even all day. I never got drowsy. I never really got tired or lethargic. And I was talking to people. It was just, like, there's a lot going on. Um, then Wednesday, I didn't take one, and it was, like, 10 o'clock, and I'm like, I just want to take a nap. <laughs> I just, I'm just like, and, yeah, it was a little bit slower day, but I was just like, what a difference between Tuesday and Wednesday where Tuesday I was just on the ball and like pumped up energized and then Wednesday I just felt a little dragging here's the funny thing it you don't feel it when it's happening you notice it when you don't have it like as soon as you you like you go a day or two without it like when it's happening I don't feel like sometimes you have a coffee you kind of feel like that surge you just feel like you should Mm -hmm. like when you take magic mind I feel like I feel like this is how I like I should feel. Like yeah. This is yeah, exactly. And there's a lot of normal. days I wake up and do feel that way, so I don't, I don't take that day. But it's the yeah. days I'm like, like I said, I woke up at five o'clock, three days in a row, and I'm just like, I'm gonna be dragging today, so I'm gonna take a magic mind, and I, it made me feel right. One, one of my favorite things about it is when I take it in the morning, it's like a little reminder for me to be good to myself. Mm-hmm. So. Like the other morning, there was leftover chocolate cake, like fudge chocolate cake, and I'm like, I'm having cake for breakfast. And then I drank the Magic Mind, and I'm like, you know what? Maybe I ought to have a shake, <laughs> or maybe I ought to, uh, maybe I ought to, I don't know. Maybe I ought to have a banana or some or a piece yeah. of fruit, and like treat myself better. It's just like a little reminder, like you're doing this for yourself. Why, why stop there? Yeah. And I think it makes me better. It, I make better decisions throughout the day for myself when I do it. And I, that's what I like. And it, it's hard to go wrong with all the other. Yeah. The, and Fran, yeah. we still have a promo code for Magic Mind, don't we? We do. We do. If you go to uh, www.magicmind.co backslash native plants, you can get up to 56% off your uh, subscription for the next 10 days if you use the code native plants. Um, you can still use it, use it for 20% off a one-time purchase. But I really recommend the subscription. I've gone with the subscription. Once you once you do that, it, you can cancel at any time. It's not like you're locked in for a year. So if you decide in a month or two, it's not for you. You can you can uh, stop the subscription. So take advantage of the fifty six percent while you can. Uh, it's only good for the next uh, ten days, and and hopefully you'll be singing its praises like Tom and I. What do you think? Yeah, sounds good. All Let's right. get into listener shoutouts. Here you go. I am going to go first because I only have one and yeah. you have multiple. And I'm excited I, I at one of the, the people because it's someone I haven't talked to in probably 10 years. Okay. So uh, yeah. I'm excited about that. But um, mine is I want to give a big shout out to Vicki Lowe. Uh, she is the copy editor for The Blazing Star, which is put out by mm-hmm. the uh, North American Native Plant Society. And we were informed that. Uh, we were part of an article that she wrote about her favorite native plant podcast, and we were one of the ones she selected. So we're excited. Uh, we got to read the article, and we're super excited. We can't wait for it to uh, be published in the next episode. But we just wanted to say thank you for listening and finding us and staying with us and spreading the word. That's that's all we can ask for, and, and we appreciate you and what you do. And uh, we are actually are trying to get a member of the North American Native Plant Society for a future episode of 
uh, Native Plants Healthy Planet. So hopefully we have that one coming at some point. I know we're having some scheduling mm-hmm. issues, but hopefully that's that's coming in the near future. Yeah, and then uh, then I had a bunch, none because they were five-star reviews. All right, that's okay. <laughs> but um, but uh, no, I, I wanted to give shout-outs uh, to some of the people who came up to me over the past couple of days that said they really liked the podcast. So uh, here it goes. So we had Todd Hyman, um, and he really liked the native plant every day as well. Oh, that's um, awesome. And that's – we keep – it's coming back in less than a month, and yep. we have not recorded one yet. <laughs> but that's that's next week's checklist. Oh, yeah. Yep. And then uh, you had uh, Gretchen Megley, and uh, then – Two yesterday that came up to me as a pair said they worked with my dad a lot. Um, Katie Wydell back in the day. Uh, worked yeah. for the uh, Meadowlands Commission. Yeah, that's right. It was uh, Katie Wydell and then Joanne DiLorenzo. Um, both said they enjoyed the podcast. And uh, there was a, a number of other people that I didn't get a chance to record their names or didn't even get their names. So um, if I did talk to you at one of these trade shows the past couple of days and, and didn't give you a shout-out here, no, I'm doing it in spirit. Uh, it was between my forgetfulness and um, – and lack of note taking, I, I didn't, I didn't one, get to. One thing I need to get better at, and I'm typically pretty good at it. Um, we've had so many people come up at trade shows and say they're fans. Yeah. Typically, I say, "What's your name?" and ask what their favorite oh, yeah. native yep. plant is, and and try to have. A, mm-hmm. It was so busy that we didn't get to have some of those interaction, more personal yeah. interactions that we would like to have. So, uh, you know, just know that this, you know, we're mentioning mm-hmm. all of you. It may not be by name, but you know, it was a. a Really cool thing. Another conversation. Someone who didn't listen to the podcast, um, we give out Native Plants Healthy Plants stickers at all these events, and they picked up a sticker. And then I was asked, asked or telling them about the podcast, and they asked me what my favorite plant was without knowing that we asked that at yeah. the end of every guest episode. And um, and I said, oh, it's, I, my default answer tends to be Blazing Star. It changes a lot, but my default answer is Blazing Star. And the reason is um, really not that great of a reason, but I love how – how you just get different pictures on that plant of butterflies. When you go out and take pictures, you can just, it's a different angle. It's a different perspective. You get a really good, like um, just side shot of them at a different perspective than you you normally do. And um, as I started thinking about them, like that's one of, it's not necessarily everyone's pick of their native plant. That is interesting to me. It's the stories of why they pick them. And I think of, uh, of uh, Dr. Stanley Temple, and his story about looking white, out the skylight the and oak. seeing the the birds in the oak tree and thinking of passenger pigeons, and I think of um, Dr. Dwayne Estes and talking about I don't remember what his pick was, but that grass and like how it's just such a rare species yeah. and like how excited he is because it's so rare and you know for me all those stories are just amazing. I know I've mentioned it for me, iris versa color, blue flag mm-hmm. iris. It's it's its beauty and its simplicity, but how. How multifaceted this is in the range of what it can handle and what it can do mm-hmm. to me was just so fascinating. Um, mm-hmm. but, yeah. But uh, so thank that's you a, all. Thank yeah, you something all. Something I'd love to do more uh, with we, is like actually find a way that we can share some of those stories. So. Yeah. That would be awesome. That would yeah, be awesome. Or, or uh, not accumulate. What's the – is that the right word? If we put them all together? Uh, we're going to <laughs> cure – like cure? Not yeah. curate. I don't Have, know. Yeah. Take some of our favorite accumulate, stories and like yeah. put them together. And then maybe that's sure. another like fallback episode. When you don't get yeah. a guess, we can do that. That's a lot yeah. of work for you, Fran. That's, that's okay. me promising you're going to do something more. I don't mind doing want. it. I don't mind doing it. Uh, yeah. Hey, but we did actually. We it's not like this every week, but we had a few uh, calls into the question and comment line. I want to ask you a bunch of questions. And I want to have them answered immediately. It's a simple question. Um, 
No, I didn't hear you. What was your question? So these two really aren't questions. They're more comments. So mm-hmm. I, I'm just going to launch launch into cool. them. Hi, Tom. It's Lynn Kunstman calling from the Rogue Valley in Oregon. And I've been posting on your Facebook page, but I wanted to let you know that I finally caught up. I binged all the episodes. I had to throw Allie Ward under the bus when I started listening to you guys. So now I can go back and listen to some more of her. Um, but you have become my cause celeb. And um, I wanted to give Fran a shout out. Uh, I heard my name on an episode you <laughs> could get a shout out for back in the hundred and teens something. I don't know. It was going by fast at, at speed and a half. And he actually pronounced my last name correctly. So I was uh, most impressed by that. That never happens. Um, and thanks for mentioning our uh, Western Red Theater the other day on uh, That's Hot. Uh, keep up the good work. I, I love the show. Thanks so much for doing this stuff. Bye. I, I, now I feel pressured because I got the last name right because you always get the names. Yeah. And yeah. I always just laugh because I never have to pronounce them. So I pronounced one correctly. So now I'm going to be self-conscious for every other name. <laughs> but yeah. but thank you for listening. And thank you. You know, anyone that pushes Allie Ward aside to listen to us is a friend of ours. Very thank flattering. You. That's, yeah, that's uh, extremely flattering. Yeah. So I'll take that. That, yeah. that made me happy. And Not, my, nothing against Ali Ward. I think Ward, my but. favorite part of that call was the, the throwback to my gaffe over cause celeb and, <laughs> and not, not knowing what it meant or how to say it. So, I enjoyed there, there I don't so know, many I'm, things I'm about that call. I'm assuming that was I intentional, enjoyed. but I don't know. I'm, I I'm think hoping it, is. it was intentional. There were so many things I love that. But thank yeah. you so much for, for following in. And, and Lynn has been very active in our Facebook group recently, and I really appreciate that. Getting a perspective, someone from – the West Coast, uh, Pacific Northwest, and and she's actually written in and given us great uh, guest suggestions. Um, so we're we're trying. That's a big audience for us as well. You know, I'm excited. Can I say who you have coming on as a guest soon? Uh, who do I have coming on as a guest? Oh, soon? Can we, you tell me. I, we had during this or that. We had the article about Dodger Stadium oh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. creating native, native yes. habitat, and we're going to have. That gentleman. I, well, I sure hope so because he hasn't responded to my email yet. Right. He responded to my Instagram DM and said, "Yeah, shoot me an email," and I haven't heard anything right. back. It's been busy. So that happens. That happens a lot. We've had a few. We we had someone that we reached out with to do a collaboration with months ago, and they just got back to us, and I responded, and then and, it didn't and that was actually. So busy. I'll even take it a step further back. That was someone we reached out to. Years ago, multiple times, and then multiple reached out to them again, and just happened to hear back months later this time. <laughs> you but, know, yeah, and then it's, it's, it's everyone's busy, so yep. um, we do have a second call as well. Cool. Hi, friend and Tom. I'm an avid listener. I love your show. It gives me so much motivation to keep working on my garden, my nonprofit groups, and educating the public about native plants and their connection to us. My name is Melinda, and I live in Virginia. I had a really hard time listening to your lawn does what part two because I was frustrated with the messaging about communication with your HOA. As I said, I live in Virginia, next door to Maryland, where the landmark case recently occurred. I have spent many hours gardening in my front yard, only to butt up against some archaic and fuzzy rules for my HOA. I spent many hours talking with the board, trying to get elected to the board, trying to be part of the sub-board that regulates architecture and landscaping, which the board tried to block me from joining, and given several public presentations at HOA meetings. I met outright hostility from several members of the HOA administration, stonewalling and refusal to just discuss updating the rules, and was threatened with legal action. 
It was all eerily similar to the case in Maryland. I have spoken with Nancy Lawson, a lawyer, the Chesapeake Bay Foundation, the Audubon Society, and Wild Ones about the best ways to approach my problem, all to no avail. I am left with trying to get legislation changed, just as the Maryland couple did. I am currently working on this and hope to have something before the Virginia legislature in 2024. I felt like Dr. Grossman was very dismissive of what a situation may be like for someone living in an HOA. I could go on and on about my experience, and most people don't have the time and energy I did, and I still made very little progress. I want to let anyone out there know who is in a similar position to me that I feel your pain, and this is not something that can always just be solved by communication with your HOA. And if you live in Virginia, look me up with the Northern Virginia chapter of Wild Ones to tell me your HOA story, and let's work together. Thank you again, Fran and Tom, and keep up the good work. Well, Linda, that was a wonderful phone call. Yeah, and, it really and I was. can't thank you enough. And and you know, we shouldn't take lightly the what everyone has to go through to not only spread this message, but to do what you want to do with your own property. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's it's heartbreaking to know that. It's I almost as you were telling the story, I started thinking. I'm like, you know, I I know it's going to be. There's going to be cases that are won and cases that are lost, mm-hmm. um, and I almost think of it as I'm like, wow. Th- I wonder if over time this is going to become almost like a red state or a blue state. Like you know, you're going to have a a turf lawn <laughs> or a wildflower lawn, and mm-hmm. it split split people of going in directions with like minded people. Um, and I know that's a horrible thing to think that it could come to that, but it might very well come mm-hmm. to that where it's just Split, and I, I hope over time – like you don't hear people talking about you, – you still hear people saying climate change isn't real, but you have the, – the people that believe in it, that number becomes larger and larger, but it's t- that's taken how long? You know, 20, 30 years? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and I don't see this problem getting any – significantly better mm-hmm. anytime soon, um, yeah. and that's frustrating. You know, that's I, – I don't know what those answers are, and I don't – if you can't you can't necessarily always get people to change their mind yeah and it's um it's one of those things where it's e- it's easy for us to talk about cuz yeah. we don't live in communities well you you don't right no it's, it's not no, yeah i, I, I live HOA. on a farm so i don't have an hoa um i guess the hoa is my parents they, yeah <laughs> they say, yeah you shouldn't do that but um but yeah it's easy to say what we think you should do but not having lived in one we don't really know how it works um, I, I can see I think it being like a bull, a sense of bullying. Yeah, you and know? I, th- I, th- my assumption is there's going to be some organizations that are much more receptive with it than others. Um, You're going to win. That's it's not always going to be the case. Yeah, there's going to be some that are more easily won. Yeah. than other, and some that aren't going to be won at all. Yeah, and as Fran, as you were talking, it I started thinking about some. Oh, it was a string of thoughts, but um, the first thing was. It would be great for some of these folks that are trying to do the same thing to be able to link up. And um, and there's, like, obviously the case in Maryland, uh, your experience in Virginia, and kind of learn together and collaborate together on what works. And uh, then I started thinking about there's, there's techniques that different organizations use to, to get policy changed in certain states. Um, and I often like a lot of it is, well, yeah. you look at the, like, we were just talking about the black bear hunt in New Jersey you have organizations that are advocating humane societies primarily, which are advocating, um, Hey, we want to stop this. And 
they want to stop it in a lot of states. But New Jersey is an easy target because you have a lot of people who are on board with that sentiment. Um, if they just went, they might really want to say, hey, we want to stop this in Arkansas. Yeah. Um, but if they were to present it in Arkansas, it's not going to be favorable. And so what they'll do is they'll go to a state where they can easily win, like New Jersey. It passes. It becomes part of law. It's codified. And now they can go to Arkansas and say, well, look what New Jersey did. You can just follow this plan. And now they have a reference that they can do. And I just started thinking, oh, what if we can do this for some of these H2A things? Yeah. Where now you have – well, you already have one yeah. in Maryland. Yeah. But you have a couple of them now, and it's like, well, it happened here, it happened here, it happened here. You have not only just a plan on how to do it, but also a a reference that they can say, well, we can't say that it shouldn't be done because it's being done places. And um, it's going to take time. It's not like it's an easy thing. But that's just a strategy I know other places well, use. And that may be – that's probably more than you want to do. Here, but and, uh, here's the someone might be want to pick up that ball and run Every, with it. Everyone deserves to live where they want to live. Yeah. And you should have the right to do what you want to do. Yep. Here's the hard part. Say you win. Say Melinda fights this fight and wins. They could still make her life so miserable oh, yeah. Yeah. that she can't – even even in victory – can't even stay there. Mm-hmm. That's what's that's what's difficult and upsetting. That 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 could be the next step. Yeah, you know, like you can win, but you know, or look at and here's the thing: we've talked to Benjamin Vote and you, uh, the author, uh, and what I'm sorry, what's a he Prairie Up is his new book, uh, um, Garden New Garden Ethics, yeah, is the first Garden book. Ethic. But I'm trying to think of his his company name, uh, Monarch, Monarch Gardens. Monarch Gardens. Monarch, yeah. So. Where he lives in Nebraska? Yep. He is the only person in his development that has created a meadow mm-hmm. in their property. Every other lawn is – and I'm like, have you managed to win any – like has anyone like-minded move in? Have you managed to change anyone over? That answer is no. You know, and he still gets the looks. He still gets – it doesn't make life easier for him, uh, but he's willing to to fight that fight because he believes in it. And that's only so much to ask everyone to bear, you know. Mm-hmm. To to f- everyone has a point in which they say, "I can't, I can't do it anymore." So I appreciate everything that you've done, Melinda, to fight that fight because I know it's not easy to fight yeah. that fight, and I know it may not be a winnable fight. But I appreciate that. I do would like to invite you to our Facebook group if you haven't already joined, and share your story on there, and give a place for other people to link up with you where they can share their experiences and maybe uh, strengthen that cause a little bit. So I, mm-hmm. I really appreciate you reaching out. Thank you so much. Yeah. yeah, I hope this is a launching pad for a lot of like-minded people who are going through similar things or maybe even had some success yeah. to, to kind of get together and um, use use our Facebook group, make your own Facebook group. But I think it's important to commu- keep that communication strain, communication chain going. I agree. And uh, no, a lot of props for you for, for standing up for what you believe in and and not giving up when a lot of people would. Yeah. Thank you for calling in. I really appreciate that. So for the sake of time for you, Tom, because I know you have a meeting soon, let's go to take it or leave it. Yes. Um, And it's funny that you had something that coincides with my – so my my take it or leave it, and I know we've talked about this on past episodes, but just is plastic recycling worth it right now that – like I know our local – Recycling center doesn't have a means. For, mm-hmm. So 
they're collecting all this plastic and then it's still going. Yes. Like yeah. we're, we're, we're sending separate trucks. We're separating it. We're doing all these things and then it's going to the recycling center. It's being sorted and mm-hmm. then it's being sent to the landfill. Yeah. Uh, now that China's now taking in a lot of this product. So unless they have an end need for it, it just – it still goes yeah. into the landfill. Yep. Now, I'm not saying it's not worthy, but are we creating more of a problem? Like it's the problem <laughs> not recycling but doing less. Yeah. you know. And I, I just wanted to pose that, but then you came in with something very interesting today that kind of ties into what yeah, we were talking yeah. about. Um, going on plastic recycling, I think it's some, just something – for a long time, and I know a lot of people went through the same thing, where for a long time it was like, oh, went in the blue bin, and then it was – in my mind, I was being green, but it was not my problem anymore. So yes. I wasn't thinking about where it was. You did your up. part, and it was really when I was in college. I was I was very adamant as working, growing in this environmental household. Oh, I got need to recycle, and a lot of my friends were, and I would put stuff in the recycling bin. And I remember looking out my dorm room window and seeing the person, one of the janitors take the recycling bin and just dump it in the dumpster outside. I'm like, well, all this stuff I've been so adamant about doing is getting cut off literally right outside my window. Yeah. Not even making it to, to a recycling yard or a landfill and then having, hey, we don't have a place to send it. So I think it's just, it's worthwhile to do, as but recognize that it's probably all for naught. Yeah. Um, or it can be it at can times. It can be at, at times, times all yeah. for naught. So you don't want to just say, oh, like I have that. Um, you know you're, you're making the right choice. Um, and also understanding what can and can't be recycled. I'm big on that, yes. too, knowing that there's things like greasy pizza boxes, pizza boxes and, that, and yeah. cardboard with glue on it. Can't go in there. Yeah. Um, those are wish cyclers, and they that makes them even feel better yes. about themselves. Oh, look, all these things. And I even had a conversation with someone about it was like paper towel rolls. At one point, you couldn't recycle them because of the glue on them. Yeah. And, um, and they were saying... Uh, I was like, oh, you're not supposed to recycle them because of the glue. And they're like, well, that's stupid. I'm going to recycle them anyway. Yeah. I'm like, well, now you're just causing an issue. Well, that's those the same like the but, plastic caps from water oh, bottles. Yeah. They yep. they pop them off and they yep. go. They but go for a long trash. time, they didn't even have the, the cap poppers. Yeah. So you were supposed to take them off. And if they had the cap on them, they, you, they had to divert just, it. Yeah. It was too expensive to have people just pick out all the caps there. Now they have a. a now they have something that yeah. actually like squeezes the bottom, pops the caps off. But, um, but. When I was at this trade show the other day, uh, I was sitting through a presentation through Proven Winners. And whatever you think about Proven Winners and what they do, put that aside for now because seen, they did something really cool here. I've seen arguments after hours at trade shows yeah. like about about this with Proven Winners. Not not the pot, but yeah. with – you know, I know there's some strong feelings about Proven Winners. Oh, yeah. They do regardless. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but they, for, for years, and we've talked about on here too, the big black eye on not just native plant nurseries, but the nursery industry as a whole is how much plastic we have to use. Every plant is in a plastic liner, plastic pot. Um, and there's a lot of pressure saying to use something different. And, uh, and a lot of, I felt a lot of pressure on us saying, Hey, you guys are on the the green wave. You should be the ones doing this. I'm like, you know how much money that takes and how much time it takes to yeah. we aren't we aren't engineers we aren't chemists that we can do this and we don't have the money to hire those people um it's going to be someone like proven winners or one of these big companies that does it and proven winners did they did as far as i can tell um they have a, a new uh pot called the eco plus um it's um uh, made by another company but they they coordinated with them to buy it and it's all it's compost ready 
made from plants. Um, it's got a recycling number of seven, which I don't think you can put into a recycling bin. Um, but yeah, I but guess it's, it's fully, a, it's fully a plant, compostable plant plastic. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, fully compostable. I think just looking at it, you, it's saying that you can plant these in the ground. There, like there's, um, uh, there's like tabs on it. You can pull off you on can the pull bottom off for the roots to come out. And, uh, so the roots can come out and then eventually it'll break down in ground. Yeah. Um, but it seems sturdy enough to be able to but, withstand yeah, living feels, in a nursery. It's a little more brittle than most oh, I other squeezed plastic it and pots it, it, were. It broke a little bit. And yeah. um, but no, this is this is the future. The woman who gave the presentation gave me the contact info for this person, um, which I'm going to reach out to them. Not only to have them on the podcast to potentially talk about this, yeah. but um, but also see if it's something we can work with them on as well. Because this is like, oh, yeah, it says right here, plantable and compostable. What yeah. is an Eco Plus Grande? It's plantable yeah. and compostable. So it's yeah. like just because you don't agree with the cultivars and they, they still release buddleias and uh, what's that? Um, butterfly bush, some yeah. invasive plants, that kind of but stuff. they picked up the gauntlet. But they're the yeah. ones who picked up this and said, hey, we need to be greener. Plastic's a big issue. Let's invent something better. Um, and they admittedly said a lot of their customers don't like it because it's really expensive yeah. but eventually if enough well, people request it th- I mean, this was my call this is what i was talking about with them with is i want to talk about this to say when you're going to your garden center tell your garden center you want to see this kind of stuff you're willing to pay the extra dollar a plant or whatever it is to get it in this kind of pot it it's going um, to get to the point where you don't have an option we talked about legislature yeah. coming in new jersey that's going to happen that eventually you have to Find a way to recycle. Like even if yeah. it's not recyclable, you have to find a way to recycle it. Yep. Um, yep. If you're going to use it, so mm-hmm. this is an option where it's going to be cheaper than develop. Listen, if if we had to develop a way to recycle un- unrecyclable unrecyclable pots, we would have to raise the price of the plants anyway. So yeah. you're paying for oh, it yeah. regardless. Yep. You know, and I oh. prefer this way something that you could plant right in the ground, not take out of the pot. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And and. and I feel good about that, and I think our our listeners or customers would. It's feel potentially good about that. is a win win win. It's something. Yeah. It's easier for for our customers who are technically going to be landscape contractors. They don't have to take the one. They don't have to take it out of the pot. Yeah. First, they can just put the pot right in the ground, and then two, they don't have to um, go and pick up all these pots and find, throw them in the dumpster. They can. They're they're in the ground. Yeah. They're they don't have to worry. It's perfect. About them. So there's I, I want to look into like what it's actually made out of. I guess I know it's a plant baked plastic. How long does it actually break down? And maybe See, you that guys I will be know. privy to all those yeah. conversations. We yeah. might have them on depending on how the initial conversation goes. Awesome. So, so you're taking yeah. plastic recycling. Yeah, I, I am too. I think it's something. Even though we know it may not end up where we hope it does, it's uh if you, if have, you have to have those systems in, the, in place. Yeah, if you just throw it in the, the trash can, you know it's where it's going, and it's yeah. not. So at least. Take a chance that it may go someplace yeah. and, and get recycled and become something else. I agree. So I agree. Great yeah. show today. Yeah, so Great that's going to wrap us up for today. Thank you so much for listening to The Buzz presented by Pinelands Nursery and Magic Mind. Um, Fran, that's on to you. I was about to read your thing. Oh, no problem. Thank you, RJ Comer, for our Buzz theme music. It's synonymous with The Buzz. Uh, make sure you stream or buy RJ's music uh, wherever you consume your music or check out his uh, Americana playlist on Pandora. You will be glad that you did. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Pineland Nursery, Facebook at Pinelands Nursery NJ, Instagram at Native Plants underscore Healthy Planet, or also 
uh, at Pinelands Nursery. You can also check out some of our videos at YouTube at Pinelands Nursery. Uh, don't forget about the question and comment line. We thank you for everyone that called in today. Uh, you can reach us at 215-346-6189. I will repeat that, 215-346-6189. Ask a question, leave a comment, and we will try to play it on a future episode of The Buzz. And thank you again to everyone from the Native Plants Healthy Planet Facebook group for being so kind and accepting, and and the number just keeps growing. Yeah. You never say that we're on TikTok, too. Um, I don't even know what our TikTok is. But I think is. it's just at Pinelands Nursery. It might have an underscore in there. I'll I'll right. make sure I'm prepared for that you know, the next time. But that's I, one of our bigger platforms, actually. I'll actually – you know, it's funny because I was actually going to talk to you about, like, some of the videos that we've shared on other things. Did you want to put them on TikTok? Yeah, oh, we definitely, can have that conversation definitely. later. Um, our TikTok specialist has, uh, has been offline a little <laughs> recently, so we, i got to get back so on them. So is it at Pinelands Nursery? It's just at Pinelands Nursery. Okay. Um, All right. I'll add we'll, that we'll figure that out, and you you will know what our TikTok handle is next time. Um, for sure. So you can listen to Native Plants Healthy Planet directly at www.nativeplantshealthyplanet.com, but you're probably going to listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, really wherever you consume your podcasts. Uh, do us a big favor. Well, I guess you don't have to do us a big favor. I asked you in the beginning. You all did it. We're really happy about that. You went online or you went to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen. You left us a five-star review. You made sure you were subscribed. All the folks from Kind Earth are now each individually subscribed. <laughs> they Not only do they listen while they're working together, they also listen on their way home. <laughs> so we get a double listen now from those folks. Um, no, we really appreciate that. Really does go a long, long it way does. into to helping us promote this message. So uh, you can buy Native Plants Healthy Planet merch, uh, t-shirts, phone cases, water bottles. So Russ Fernari uh, with his Plant Native Plant hey, can, phone case. Yeah, I can put a shower curtain up there if I want. If people are interested, I can do that. So many so. fantastic comments. Tom and I have been yeah. wearing them to these conferences at trade shows, and everyone has mentioned how much they love yeah. these shirts. Yep, yep. And a lot of people saying, hey, I need to get one of those. Yeah. So uh, you can find those on that website, www.nativeplantshealthyplanet.com. It has a link to our Teespring store right at the top. You can see all the designs uh, and know that a portion, um, all, all the profits. Uh, I don't know what percent that breaks down to. It's different for each each thing. But uh, all the profits from that are going to organizations that are doing the right thing with native plants and creating great habitats. So, totally. Um, and I'm hoping we can – we'll have enough saved up to, to have another another awardee here in the next, I would uh, like that. next couple of weeks. I so, would like that. Um, yeah. Uh, Fran, I, I didn't think of a secret. Uh, okay. I, but uh, – No problem. We're, well, we're actually – we're actually like really strapped on. I time. know, but it's my meeting, and I can be a little late if okay. I want. But um, yeah, I guess uh, just a, a quick one is um, was well, here's a secret that Did, not a lot of people know. We had our yeah. second official native plant growers meetup oh, yesterday. I I got and to see it a got picture. put in the group, but if you if you didn't know about it, we're gonna try and do more of those uh, coming up. So um, if you don't all these know. different trade shows that are coming up throughout the year. If you are a native plant grower and you're going to a trade show. Join that native plant growers group, and then, um, then post the stuff that you're going to. So we want to have even if it's just two two native plant growers that are there, three native plant growers there. Meet up, take a picture, uh, talk about shop a little bit. I've really enjoyed connecting with some of the people yeah. that I met at at the oh, last yeah. or at the inaugural one. Yep. I've really enjoyed, yep. and I and I've managed to even do business with with some since then, which which I appreciate. Yeah. So oh, yeah. uh, it's I I've truly enjoyed that. So, so if you don't know, now you know. Yep. All right. Well, thank you, everyone. I'm Tom. And I am Fran. Thanks again, everyone. Coming up next week, we're going to do a secret tape, right? 
Yes. Yeah, yeah. we're going to do a secret tape that Tom and I recorded uh, going to and from the Mance trade show, so it's still in a timely manner, so you'll get to hear that one next. And uh, we'll see you again next time, and until then, keep it native. Thank you for listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planted Podcast presented by Pinelands Nursery. Remember to like, share, follow, and comment.